0: Two wizards.
1: Two wizards.
0: Two wizards.
2: Two wizards. Hey, you don't put your pants on if you don't want to, you know. But that, but that's true. That is true. And 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 yet, yeah, I do kind of feel like uh among the many this is going to be horrible <laughs> among the many changes that COVID has brought to us yeah like I haven't been able I have been putting pants on for like the better part of a year and a half now so when I don't have to it's it like loses that
1: just loses that charm
2: <laughs> and you want to talk about first world problems
1: between you and the so... uh, weatherman or anchorman.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> I've gotten so used to not wearing
1: pants that when I don't have to wear pants,
2: it's not even special anymore.
1: <laughs> I mean, I was in Hawaii for like two weeks, and I didn't yeah. wear pants for two weeks, and then I came back here to this miserable, cold ass place, and oh, I have to wear shoes and pants. Pff, fuck that noise! Like, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, it's the worst. Well, and we did. We had, so uh, yeah, last weekend, you'll recall, I said the weather was beautiful, It was gorgeous. Had you know, went outside and had some nice like patio dining. Uh, yeah, we got like three inches of snow uh, Friday night. And so, yeah, it's just, again, man, just, I just want, just just make up your mind. Like what we were talking about, just make up your mind, whether, whatever it is you're going to do, just do that. <laughs> Figure it out. But anyway, you know what? We, we are, well, there is one constant, you know, weather can do what it will, but there, but there is one constant and that is. The Two Wizards Podcast, which is why we're here. We're doing it again. Doing it again. Uh, welcome Still here. Welcome. Like almost a
1: hundred episodes in. Yeah. Oh,
2: oh, baby. Knocking you, on that you door. Better believe we're knock, 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 knocking on a hundred episodes. <laughs> uh and who is it that is doing the knocking? Well, I'm one of them, uh, and I'm Josh, and I'm a wizard.
1: That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Mark, and I am a wizard, and yeah, we're here, we're back in our wizard's towers, and we Mm -hmm. have something kind of special for you guys tonight, because we're two wizards, and we like to be cyclical and theme things, and if you look back Mm -hmm. when we were two hobbits last year, we did this, and hey, we're gonna do it this year too. That's right, Josh, we're reading some HP Lovecraft tonight. Cue that thunderclap. That's
2: right, yeah, buddy, cue that thunderclap, because it has been, it has been a bit of a minute, hasn't it? It's been since a while, the since... Call of Cthulhu, back in August. Yeah, since the Call of Cthulhu, back in August. Jeez, man, time, time fly- Well, and actually, it's funny enough too. Talking about cycles, talking about things like that. Um, yeah, that thing that did bring us out of being two hobbits, uh, was this, was this little scamp, was this little rapscallion, uh, named Gershon. and so yeah, he did. He like brought us out of our two hobbits, like fugue. Uh, but then, like, vanished. Yeah. Then, like, we have we haven't seen him in in forever. And and I think you know we were worried when we did our like mailbag episode. Some of our listeners were worried about what happened to poor poor Gershwin, But you know, he he actually he actually did um, get back in touch with me. Oh, did And he? this is also, I think this is really special. And maybe it is also in uh, commemoration of um of, of yeah his, his his exploits where he's been all this time. But he got us uh, a brand new, uh, leather-bound copy of the Necronomicon, oh my God. Did he really? and I don't know
0: where,
2: yeah, and I don't know where he got this because it was already a big deal when he showed up at our wizard's tower and, and, and uh, handed this thing over to begin with. And you know, from my understanding, is um, yeah, the Necronomicons. I, I don't think it's in print anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of mysterious.
2: Yeah, they may they it's a big f- from the stories we've read, they make it a big deal to say, like, look, there's only like seven of these and they're all held up under lock and key at various research institutions. Um so yeah, how he came across a brand new leather bound uh, uh, copy is is not for me to say. I don't wanna look a gift horse in the mouth. Um but but hey, you know, now now we have we have two. We have two. We have we have the one that gifted us before. Um and, and he came back and he came back and like I don't know said uh said that this is this is what he was working on I don't know if he's getting into like press printing and binding and all that but yeah it was it was it was special it was a very special present
1: very very nice thank you Gershon. Yeah, you you Gershon I know this
2: and and and, and, and uh, just as just as quickly and mysteriously as he as he came back into my life uh he vanished right again so who knows who knows what sort of uh, misadventures he's on right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, oh, sweet, gosh, sweet Gershon. <laughs>
2: um, well, but, well, and also, so, so I think to commemorate this as well, um, you, you had an idea for what we ought to put in our wizard's tankards, because I even kind of forget how we stumbled across this. Like we, we were doing this kind of cutesy thing, as is our want, where, all the drinks that we had uh, reading Lovecraft were, had like four, had the number four in them some, somehow because we had four loco and then we had four and then we had forties. Um, and we were, we were, we were kind of racking our brains like, okay, well, what can we do? What can we do with this? Uh, but you had a wonderful idea and I'm excited for this. Would you like to sort of clue everybody in? As to what is uh, the contents of our Wizards Tankards yeah. this time around?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um when we were in so I just mentioned I was traveling and I hate pants, but when we came back to <laughs> Color or not when we got back to the mainland, we stayed over in San Francisco for a couple nights and it was at a weird, and I shit you not, it's like this weird, like not quite waterfront, but very, very like waterfront y vibe, um, super upscale seafood restaurant where I had my very first ever Negroni, and I was like, we need to put these in our wizard's tankards. And you were like, oh, hell yeah, we do. And then, like, this is our first kind of, like, I don't want to say real one, but, like, this is a special episode. Like, we do a Lovecraft episode, like, twice a year, and that's it. So here we are, so we're making it special by drinking Negroni. But what, what actually is
2: in a Negroni? If, if the listeners at home, they're inspired, if they want to rush out to the store and grab um, the ingredients to 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 join us what
1: what is it uh, uh made of so it is made of if i can find that stupid recipe <laughs> uh one ounce of gin one ounce of sweet vermouth one ounce of campari and a twist of, or slice of orange so it's kind of like an old-fashioned if you really messed up an old-fashioned i think yeah
2: <laughs> right yeah it's uh yeah or or, or maybe um yeah maybe a, a sort of a take on a martini because a martini is gin and vermouth yeah Um, kind of bad part too but but yes but it's all equal parts um and yeah knowing what we have ahead i went to my oh god what is this i i 20 fluid ounce capacity mason jar and so I I think I made myself like a like a quintuple uh <laughs> Negroni I loaded this bad boy up so yeah I'm looking at like 15 fluid ounces of oh lord s- sweet Negroni that I'm taking my time I'm taking my time through I have some water next to me but uh but with that with that being said um here is Anya, buddy cheers good buddy
1: oh man the one in San Francisco is better
2: No uh oh uh-oh. oh
1: wow <laughs> Oh, wow. Just no part of that is okay. Uh-oh. Uh, okay, but well, did once you... it kind of breathes a bit, it's all right. When it lingers, okay. Well, well, okay.
2: Did you get um, regular vermouth? Or did you... Because uh, apparently it's supposed to be rosso, like red semi-sweet vermouth.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. I just had sweet, so that's what I used. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then who knows?
2: Maybe that's also part of it, too. But yeah, mine's, mine's doing okay.
1: Yeah? What do you think?
2: It's all right so far. And yeah, I got a big, big old orange slice to go with my
1: big old Negroni. <laughs> so I got to ask, like, did you buy your Campari? Because I bought my first ever bottle of Campari and that shit's like 40 bucks.
2: Uh, I did. Uh, I kind of lucked out and I found like a like a smaller bottle. So I, so I didn't have to oh, okay. go to... I didn't have to make quite the same investment. Um. <laughs> Cause yeah, man, like maybe I am trying to remember, um, my lesson from when we did the Taylor, like, okay, <laughs> I don't need to buy, yeah, like a liter of creme de menthe or whatever. Like I can, I can try to, I can try to get smaller things so that they'll also keep them in my liquor cabinet, but then just, yeah, don't feel bad that this thing's like sitting here <laughs> the whole mm. like, like two years later.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: I had that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> although uh, uh,
2: the Mrs. Wizard and, and I, we, we've tried to, like, do better things, like, uh, oh, hey, when we're making hot chocolate, here's a little splash of creme de menthe, and, and try to, you know, whittle away at it a little bit by yeah. little
1: bit. Yeah, yeah, but, um, May- And Maybe nibble, nibble at it, Josh. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, nibble, and, you know, kind of get up and scurry to the kitchen, and then scurry back, and... <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's stupid. That was God, a bad segue. It. I'm sorry. No, That's I love dumb. it.
2: I love it. Okay, but we are we are here. We're committed. We're reading some Lovecraft. And I think we're going to start off with one that, again, our astute listeners um, could probably pick up on why we were saying Nibble and Skr- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. But our first story that we're going to read tonight is...
1: The Rats and the walls the rats in the
2: walls by hp lovecraft and i think we'll do our kind of typical thing um we'll trade off a paragraph or a couple paragraphs something like that and i know when we were doing uh the call of cthulhu that was broken up into multiple parts and so we kind of stop after each part and you know kind of riff or talk about something that resonated with us um uh it doesn't look like the rats in the walls is also um split up that way but who knows you know maybe we'll just something really jumps out at us we'll kind of take a take a time out and
0: yeah uh,
1: yeah take after, a beat but. and talk about it
2: and oh boy i'm already <laughs> i swear i'm taking it slow i know i've made a gigantic negroni taking it slow but already i'm like oh baby <laughs> okay so here you go uh i guess i guess with that note maybe maybe uh i might take the honors take her away buddy okay so the rats in the walls by H.P. Lovecraft. On July 16th, 1923, I moved into Exham Priory after the last workman had finished his labors. The restoration had been a stupendous task, for little had remained of the deserted pile, but a shell-like ruin. Yet because it had been the seat of my ancestors, I left no expense deter me. The place had not been inhabited since the reign of James I. When a tragedy of intensely hideous, though largely unexplained, nature had struck down the master, five of his children, and several servants, and driven forth under a cloud of suspicion and terror, the third son, my lineal progenitor, and the only survivor of the abhorred line. With this sole heir denounced as a murderer, the estate had reverted to the crown, nor had the accused man made any attempt to expulcate himself or regain his property. Shaken by some horror greater than that of conscience or the law, and expressing only a frantic wish to exclude the ancient edifice from his sight and memory, Walter de la eleventh Baron Exham, fled to Virginia and there founded the family by which the next century had become known as poor
1: Exham Priory had remained un- untenanted though later allotted to the estates of the Norris family, and much studied because of its peculiarly composite architecture. An architecture involving Gothic towers resting on Saxon or Romanesque substructure, whose foundation in turn was still earlier in order of the blend of orders, Roman or even Druidic or native Cymric, if legend speaks truly. This foundation was a very singular thing, being merged on one side with the solid limestone of the precipice whose brink the Priory overlooked a desolate valley three miles away from the village of Anchester. "'Architects and antiquarians love to examine the strange relics of forgotten centuries, but the country folk hated it. "'They had hated it for hundreds of years before, when my ancestors lived there, and they hated it now, the moss and mold of abandonment on it. "'I had not been a day in Anchester before I knew I came from an accursed house, and this week the workmen have blown up Exemp Priory, and they are busy obliterating the traces of its foundation.' the bare statistics of my ancestry I had always known, together with the fact that my American my first American forebearer had come to the colonies under a strange cloud. Of details, however, I had been kept wholly ignorant, though the policy of reticence was always maintained by the Delapores. Unlike our planter neighbors, we seldom boasted the crusading ancestors or medieval and renaissance heroes, nor was any kind of tradition handed down except that except what may have been recorded in a sealed envelope left before the civil war by every squire to the eldest son for posthumous opening the glories we cherished were those achieved since the migration the glories of proud and honorable if somewhat reserved unsocial virginia line
2: during the war our fortunes were extinguished and our whole existence changed by the burning of carfax our home on the bank of the james my grandfather advanced in years had perished in that incendiary outrage and with him the envelope that bound us all to the past. I can recall that fire today as I saw it then and at the age of seven, with the federal soldiers shouting, the women screaming, and the Negroes howling and praying. My father was in the army, defending Richmond, and after many formalities my mother and I were passing through the lines to join him. When the war ended we all moved north, whence my mother had come, and I grew to manhood, middle age, and ultimate wealth as a stolid Yankee. Neither my father nor I ever knew what our hereditary envelope had contained, and as I merged into the grayness of Massachusetts' business life, I lost all interest in the mysteries which evidently lurked far back in my family tree. Had I suspected their nature, how gladly I would have left Exham Priory to its moss, bats, and cobwebs. My father died in 1904, but without any message to leave me, or to my only child, Alfred, a motherless boy of ten, It was this boy who reversed the order of family information, for although I could give him only jesting conjectures about the past, he wrote me of some very interesting ancestral legends when the late war took him to England in 1917 as an aviation officer. Apparently the Delapores had a colorful and perhaps sinister history, for a friend of my son's, Captain Edward Norris of the Royal Flying Corps, dwelt near the family seat at Anchester, and related some pleasant superstitions which few novelists could equate for wildness and incredibility. Norse himself, of course, did not take them seriously, but they amused my son and made good material for his letters to me. It was this legendary which definitely turned my attention to the transatlantic heritage, and made me resolve to purchase and restore the family seat which Norse showed to Alfred in its picturesque desertion, and offered to get for him at a surprisingly reasonable figure since his own uncle was the present
1: owner. I bought Exham Priory in 1918, but was almost immediately distracted from my plans of restoration by the return of my son as a maimed invalid. During the two years that he lived, I thought of nothing but his care, having even placed my business under the direction of my partners. In 1921, as I found myself bereaved and aimless, a retired manufacturer no longer young, I resolved to divert my remaining years with my new possession. Visiting Anchester in December, I was in- entertained by Captain Norris, a plump, amiable young man, who had thought much of my son, and secured his assistance in gathering plans and anecdotes to guide in the coming restoration. Exham Priory itself I saw without emotion. A jumble of tottering medieval ruins covered it with lichens and honeycombed with rooks' nests, perched precariously upon a precipice, and denuded of floors and other interior features, save stone walls of the separate towers. As I gradually recovered the image of the edifice as it had been when my ancestors left three centuries before, I began to hire workmen for the reconstruction. In every case, I was forced to go outside the immediate locality, for the Anchester villagers had an almost unbelievable fear and hatred of the place. This sentiment was so great, and that it sometimes communicated to the outside laborers, causing numerous desertions, whilst its scope appeared to incline both the, the Priory and its ancient family. My
2: son had told me that he was somewhat avoided during his visits because he was a de la poor. and now I found myself subtly ostracized for a like reason, until I convinced the peasants how little I knew of my heritage. Even then they sullenly disliked me, so that I had to collect most of the village traditions through the mediation of Norris. What the people could not forgive, perhaps, was that I had come to restore a symbol so abhorrent to them, for, rationally or not, they viewed Exum Priory as nothing less than a haunt of fiends and werewolves. Piecing together the tales which Norris collected for me, and supplementing them with the accounts of several savants who had studied the ruins, I deduce that Exum Priory stood on the site of a prehistoric temple, a Druidical or anti-Druidical thing, which must have been contemporary with Stonehenge. That indescribable rites had been celebrated there; few doubted. And there was unpleasant tales of the transference of these rites into the Sibylline worship, which the Romans had introduced. Inscriptions still visible in the subcellar bore such unmistakable letters as Div, Ops, Magna, Mat sign of the Magna Mater, whose dark worship was once vainly forbidden to Roman citizens. Anchester had been the camp of the Third Augustan Legion, as had many remains attest, and it was said that the Temple of Cymbali was splendid and uh, thronged with worshippers who performed nameless ceremonies at the bidding of a Phrygian priest. Tales added that the fall of the old religion did not end the orgies at the temple, but that the priests lived on in the new faith without real change. Likewise, it was said that the rites did not vanish with the Roman power and that certain among the Saxons added to what remained of the temple And gave it the essential outline it subsequently preserved Making it the center of a cult feared through half the heptarchy About 1000 AD the place is mentioned in a chronicle as being a substantial stone priory housing a strange and powerful monastic order And surrounded by extensive gardens which needed no walls to exclude a frightened populace It was never destroyed by the Danes though after the norman conquest it must have declined tremendously since there was no impediment when henry III granted the site to my ancestor gilbert de la Port, first baron exum in twelve sixty one
1: of my family before this date there is no evil report but something strange must have happened then in one chronicle there is a reference to a de la Port as cursed of god in thirteen o seven whilst village legendary had nothing but evil and, fan- and frantic fear to tell of the castle that went up on its foundations of the old temple and priory. The fireside tales were of the most grisly descriptions, all the ghastlier because of the frightened reticence and cloudy evasiveness. They represented my ancestors as a race of hereditary demons, beside whom Gilles de Rey and the Marquis de Sade would seem the Verice Tyro, and, and hinted whisperingly at the, the responsibility for the occasional disappearances of villagers through several generations." The worst characters, apparently, were the barons and their direct heirs, at least, most was whispered about these. If, of healthier inclinations it was said, an heir would early and mysteriously die to make way for another, more typical scion. There seemed to be an inner cult in the family presided over by the head of the house, and sometimes closed except to a few members. Temperament, rather than ancestry, was evidently the basis for this cult, for it was entered by several who married into the family lady margaret trevor from cornwall wife of godfrey the second son of the fifth baron became a favorite bane of children all over the countryside and the demon heroine of particularly horrible old ballad not yet extinct near the welsh border preserved in ballardry too though not illustrating the same point is the hideous tale of Mary de Lepore, who shortly after her marriage to the Earl of Shrewsfield, was killed by him and his mother, both of the slayers being absolved and blessed by the priests to whom they confessed what they had dared not repeat to the world. These myths and ballads, typical as they were of crude superstition, repelled me greatly. their persistence and their application to so long a line of my ancestors were especially annoying whilst the imputations of the monstrous habits proved unpleasantly reminiscent. Of the one scandal of my immediate forebears, in the case of my cousin, Randolph Delapour of Carfax, who went among the Negroes and became a voodoo priest after he returned from the Mexican War.
2: So, okay, what if we, what if we just kind of like catch, catch our breaths here a little? Yeah, bit? Yeah, let's take it, let's take not, a beat. Yeah, and not just because these Negronis are also doing stronger doing than some we weird... anticipated. <laughs> yeah doing some weird ancestral magic here okay, so basically, yeah, our narrator is moving back to the old family haunt um exham Priory
1: which has been abandoned yeah which's been abandoned of some for, for some evil time. that's befallen it something weird
2: I would absolutely do something like that if there was like, oh yeah, here's an abandoned well, and and a priory is yeah, something like a, like a monastery, an abbey, a church. It's like an old kind of small, really, really religious building. And I and I would I would in a heartbeat, pack up all my stuff and say, all right, Mrs. Wizard, all right, Monroe and Tompkins and Quincy, pack your bags. We're going to <laughs> this is where we're living now. Um, if not for the fact that I'm, yeah, close to six and a half feet tall. And those buildings were not constructed for people six and a <laughs> half feet tall, <laughs> which uh, which is a damn shame. Because I would do that. Oh, I do that so fast. I do that. You, would, we, you would What move about you? To what would you?
1: Streetsbury Castle in Bangingheadton Hell, Village? Hell's yeah, dude. Uh, hell's <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd absolutely do it. I, I'm sure that nothing bad could come from moving back to your ancestral home that has been deserted for generations.
2: Yeah, nothing. Well, or even shoot, just like around here in Columbus, I'll get bored and get on Zillow, and like, oh yeah, what are houses like? And every so often, it'll be like, oh yeah, here's an old church that is for sale now, and like, and you better believe that I've been half tempted sometimes to be like, goddamn right, I'd move into a church, (laughs) live there. That'd be
0: badass.
2: (laughs) 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 But maybe not this. Maybe not Exum Priory.
1: Maybe um, not.
2: I mean, okay, so picking up. Picking, picking up. up. I was much less disturbed by the vaguer tales of wails and howlings in the barren, windswept valley beneath the limestone cliff, of the graveyard stenches after the spring rains, of the floundering, squealing white thing on which Sir John Clave's horse had trod one night in a lonely field and of the servant who had gone mad at what he saw in the priory in the full light of day. These things were hackneyed spectral lore, and I was at that time a pronounced skeptic. The accounts of vanished peasants were less to be dismissed, though not especially significant in view of medieval custom. Prying curiosity meant death, and more than one severed head has been publicly shown on the bastions, now effaced, around Exum Priory. A few of the tales were exceedingly picturesque and made me wish I had learned more of comparative mythology in my youth. god damn right. I wish I'd learned more about comparative <laughs> mythology in my youth. Drink. Um, drink. Yeah, here you go. Um, there was, for instance, the belief that a legion of bat winged devils kept witches' Sabbath each night at the Priory. A legion whose sustenance might explain the disproportionate abundance of coarse vegetables harvested in the vast gardens. And most vivid of all, there was the dramatic epic of the rats, the scampering army of obscene vermin which had burst forth from the castle three months after the tragedy that doomed it to desertion. The lean, filthy, ravenous army which had swept all before it and devoured fowl, cats, dogs, hogs, sheep, and even two hapless human beings before its fury was spent. Around that unforgettable rodent army, a whole separate cycle of myths revolves, for it scattered among the village homes and brought curses and horrors in its train.
1: God damn, sorry, that's, I love that.
2: Yeah, no, it's so good. Wave of rats.
1: It's it's a wave of rats. Wave of rats. Yeah. (laughs) Such was the lore that assailed me as I pushed to completion, with an elderly obstinance, the work of restoring my ancestral home. It must not be imagined for a moment that the tales that these tales form my principal psychology environment psychological environment on the other hand I was constantly praised and encouraged by Captain Norris and the antiquarians who surrounded and aided me when the task was done over 2 years after its commencement I viewed the great rooms wainscoted walls vaulted ceilings mullioned windows and broad staircase with a pride fully compensated for the prodigious expense of the restoration Every attribute of the Middle Ages was cunningly reproduced, and the new parts blended perfectly with the original walls and foundations. The seat of my father's was complete, and I looked forward to redeeming, at last, the local fame of the line which ended in me. I would reside here permanently, and prove that the de la poor, for I had adopted the original spelling of my name, need not be a fiend. My comfort was perhaps augmented by the fact that, although Exumpriorly was medievally fitted, its interior was, in truth, wholly new and free from the old vermin and ghosts alike. As I have said, I moved in on July 16th, 1923. My household consisted of seven servants and nine cats, of which the latter species I am particularly fond. So,
2: listeners, I, I may have to interject a little bit here. As as Mark and I, we've we've read some Lovecraft before... And we've we've sort of like hinted and alluded to this before, and here we are, smack in the face. Uh, yes, the name of this cat is real uh, problematic. Is, is real problem is real problematic, and so lest lest we um, yeah perpetuate any sort of hurt or, or, or harm, we're going to I guess one might say uh, steer into that skid. Um, so so Mark, we're not going to use the naming conventions of this cat that Howard Phillips Lovecraft did, but we are gonna do something else. Sorry, I'd hate to kinda of jump in real quick, but 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 yeah, so what is this most beloved cat?
1: We're gonna fight racism in a way with anti racism of another way. We're calling him Sheriff Bart in <laughs> Sheriff honor Bart. of our favorite protagonist of any movie ever, Blazing Saddles. <laughs>
2: this is true this is true okay so thank you for that thank you for that um listeners for forewarned is forearmed but but we are continuing Um,
1: as i have said i moved in on july 16th 1923 my household consisted of seven servants and nine cats of the lighter speech species of which i am particularly fond my eldest cat sheriff bart was seven years old and had come with me from my home in bolton massachusetts the others I had accumulated whilst, li- whilst living with Captain Norris's family during the restoration of the property. From, for five days, our routine proceeded with the utmost placidity, my time being spent mostly in the codification of old family data. I had now obtained some very circumstantial accounts from the final tragedy and flight of Walter de la Porte, which I conceived to be the only probable contents of the hereditary letter lost in the fire at Carfax it appeared that my ancestor was accursed with much reason for having killed all of the other members of his household except four servant confederates in their sleep about two weeks after the shocking discovery which changed the whole of his demeanour except by implication he disclosed to no one save perhaps the servants who assisted him and afterwards fled beyond reach this deliberate
2: slaughter which included a father three brothers and two sisters was largely condoned by the villagers and so slackly treated by the law that its perpetrator escaped honor, unharmed, and undistinguished to Virginia. The general whispered sentiment being that he had purged the land of an immemorial curse. What discovery had prompted an act so terrible I could scarcely even conjecture. Walter de la Porte must have known for years the sinister tales about his family, so that this material could have given him no fresh impulse. Had he then witnessed some appalling ancient rite, or stumbled upon some frightful and revealing symbol in the priory or its vicinity. He was reputed to have been a shy, gentle youth in England. In Virginia, he seemed not so much hard or bitter as harassed and apprehensive. He was spoken of in the diary of another gentleman adventurer, uh, Francis Harley of Bellevue, as a man of unexampled justice, honor, and delicacy. On July 22nd occurred the first incident, which, though lightly dismissed at the time, takes on a preternatural significance in relation to later events it was so simple as to be almost negligible and could not possibly have been noticed under the circumstances for it must be recalled that since i was in a building practically fresh and was new except for the walls was surrounded by a well-balanced staff of servitors apprehension would have been absurd despite the locality what i afterward remembered is merely this that my old black cat whose moods i know so well was undoubtedly alert and anxious to an extent wholly out of keeping with his natural character. He roved from room to room, restless and disturbed, and sniffed constantly about the walls which formed part of the old Gothic structure. I realize how trite this sounds, like the inevitable dog in the ghost story which always growls before his master sees the sheeted figure, yet I cannot consistently suppress it.
1: The following day a servant complained of relentless of restlessness among all the cats in the house he came to me in my study a lofty west room on the second story groined arches black oak paneling and triple gothic windows overlooking the limestone cliff and desolate valley and even as he spoke i saw the jetty form of sheriff bart creeping along the west wall and scratching at the new panels which overlaid the ancient stone <laughs> I love calling him Sheriff Bart. It I love makes calling me happy. him Sheriff Bart. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> I told the man there that there must be some singular, singular odor or, or emanation from the old stonework, imperceptible to human senses, but affecting the delicate organs of cats even through the new woodwork. This I truly believed, and, with the fel- and when the fellow suggested the presence of mice or rats, I mentioned that there had been no rats there for 300 years, and even the field mice of the surrounding country could hardly be found in these high walls, where they had never been known to stray." That afternoon, I called Captain Norris, and he assured me that it was quite incredible for field mice to infest the priory in such sudden and unprecedented fashion. That night, dispensing as usual with a valet, I retired in the West Tower chamber, which I had chosen as my own. Reached from my study by a stone staircase and short gallery, the former partly ancient latter entirely restored. This room was circular, very high, and without wainscoting, being hung with arras which I had myself chosen in london seeing that sheriff bart was with me i shut the gothic door and retired by the light of the electric bulbs which so cleverly counterfeited candles finally switching off the light and sinking onto the carved and canopied four poster four poster that with the venerable cat in his accustomed place across my feet i had not drawn the curtains but gazed out to the narrow north window which i faced there was a suspicion of aurora in the sky and the delicate traceries of the window were pleasantly silhouetted
2: at some time i must have fallen quietly asleep for i recall a distinct sense of leaving strange dreams when the cat started violently from his placid position i saw him in the faint auroral glow head strained forward four feet on my ankles and hind feet stretched behind he was looking intensely at a point on the wall somewhat west of the window a point which to my eye had nothing to mark it, but toward which all my attention was now directed. And as I watched, I knew that Sheriff Bart was not vainly excited. (laughs) Excuse me while I whip this out. (laughs) Whether the arrest actually moved, I cannot say. I, I think it did, very slightly. But what I can swear to is that behind it, I heard a low, distinct scurrying as of rats or mice. In a moment, the cat had jumped bodily on the screening tapestry, bringing the affected section to the floor with his weight and exposing a damp, ancient wall of stone, patched here and there by the restorers and void of any trace of rodent prowlers. Sheriff Bart raced up and down the floor by this part of the wall, clawing the falling arras and seemingly trying at times to insert a paw between the wall and the oaken floor. He found nothing, and after time returned warily to his place across my feet. I had not moved, but I did not sleep against that night. In the morning I questioned all the servants and found that none of them had noticed anything unusual, save that the cook remembered the actions of a cat which had rested on her window sill. This cat had howled at some unknown hour of the night, awaking the cook in time for her to see him dart purposefully out of the open door down the stairs. I drowsed away the noontime, and in the afternoon called again on Captain Norris, who became exceedingly interested in what I told him? The odd incidents, so slight yet so curious, appealed to his sense of the picturesque and elicited from him a number of reminiscences of local ghostly lore. We were genuinely perplexed at the presence of rats, and Norris lent me some traps in Paris Green, which I had the servants place in strategic localities when I returned. So, Have you ever had to deal with mice or rats or anything
1: in your uh, living conditions, Mark? Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time living on the Eastern Plains and shit's chock full of mice.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah. I've lived in several double-wide trailers that were really mousy. Um, One time a mouse got in our apartment in college and my roommate woke me up and he's like, we got it in the bathroom. Can you come kill it? So I killed it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: I <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, fuck them! I hate them. Yeah, yeah, and I think it is. It is just a part of, uh, yeah, especially living kind of out, out in the country. But but then again, even in in the city. So so I, yeah, our first uh rental here in Columbus, um, which like the landlord, it wasn't exactly like a slumlord type situation, but they weren't very good. And yeah, like the like final weeks before our lease um ended. Yeah, we had I think like two or three mice um, in our rental that we had to deal with. And um, hey, I love Monroe and Tompkins and Quincy. Well, this is even before Quincy. Um, But yeah, they are not mousers. They just,
1: (laughs) they did not do a
2: thing. And I'm sure that they could smell, I'm sure they could smell all the urine and poop and all that. And like, so, so yeah, that, that mouse would like get under the refrigerator where like the like compressor was and it'd get nice and warm, built a little nest. And like they'd maybe, you know, kinda like the the, the cats would maybe stop and like kinda pause and sniff at it a little bit. And then just go on their merry way. So yeah, they were not <laughs> definitely not mousers. And uh, yeah, starting to see like droppings everywhere and all that. So we called the landlord, be like, Hey dude, this is what's going on. He's like, Okay, well, uh I'll bring some traps, I guess. And so he was kinda useless. So yeah, then it was. It was what it actually. I think it was. I think it was over a spring break. Now that I think about it, where the Mrs. (laughs) Wizard and I did righteous battle against this tiny mouse, and she is horrified. She had when she was growing up again, living out in the country, dealing with mice. She had a mouse run over her like bare feet when she was like, I don't know, like grade school, something like that, and she flipped out. And was trying to convince her family, "Hey, I had this mice run over my feet," and they all like disbelieved her. They're like, "Oh, whatever, you're just." <laughs> so, so she definitely has some hangups with mice. I don't like them either. I, I wish we had like indoor cameras, like chasing this thing around our little apartment. Uh, I got a broom and like, like uh, hockey slap shotted the son of a bitch out the open door.
0: <laughs>
2: um, and it kind of stunned them. It kind of stunned them. and, and I and it, like I. I feel like I should feel bad about this, but I don't really. Um, so outside, we had our, like, snow shovel. And I just got the yeah. snow shovel and boop, just... Uh, <laughs> popped him. Yeah, popped him with that. And that was the end of that mouse. And then, of course, like, dear sweet Mrs. Wizard is so freaked out. And like, get this out of here. I hate this thing. I hate mice. I hate it. But then once she realize that i killed it she immediately started crying and like i but did but i don't it's nothing personal i didn't hate that yeah. it's like i i ain't no baby i know it's stressful it's stressful and and i think that's what the story's getting at like you want to talk about humans uh evolving and having these like deep cultural memories we, we hate mice fuck mice uh it's unsettling you hate them get them out of here um so so yes i i i can relate to Having with except for like Sheriff Bart here is actually like doing his job <laughs> and trying to like chase yeah, after these mice, these mice, or whatever. Not the case with our three knuckleheads, <laughs> all right. Anyway, continuing anyway. on, continuing on, uh, is it it's you, it, yeah, it is your, yeah, it is your.
1: I retired early, being very sleepy, but was harassed by dreams of the most horrible sort. I seemed to be looking down from an an immense height upon a twilight grotto, knee-deep with filth, where a white-bearded demon swineherd drove about with his staff a flock of fungus-flabby beasts, whose appearance filled me with unutterable loathing. Then, as the swineherd paused and nodded over his task, a mighty swarm of rats rained down on the stinking abyss and devoured the beast and man alike. From this terrific vision I was awakened by the motions of Sheriff Bart, who had been sleeping, sleeping as usual across my feet. This time I did not have to question the source of the snarls and hisses, or of the fear which made him sink his claws into my ankle, unconscious of their effort, for on every side of the chamber and the walls were alive with a nauseous sound, the verminous slithering of ravenous gigantic rats. There was now no aurora to show the state of the arras, and the fallen section which had been replaced, but I was not too frightened to switch on the light. As the bulbs leapt to radiance, I saw the hideous shaking all over the tapestry, causing a somewhat peculiar design to execute a singular dance of death. The motion disappeared almost at once, and sound with it, Springing out of bed, I poked the arras with the long handle of a warming pan that rested on the patched stone wall, and even the cat had lost his sense of realization of abnormal presences. When I examined the circular trap that had been placed in the room, I found all the openings sprung, though no trace remained of what had been caught and had escaped.
2: Further sleep was out of the question, so lighting a candle, I opened the door and went out in the gallery toward the stairs to my study. Sheriff Bart following at my heels... (laughs) Before we had reached the stone steps, however, my cat darted ahead of me and vanished down the ancient flight. As I descended the stairs myself, I became suddenly aware of sounds in the great room below, sounds of a nature which could not be mistaken. The oak-paneled walls were alive with rats, scampering and milling, whilst Sheriff Bart was racing about with the fury of a baffled hunter. Reaching the bottom, I switched on the light, which did not this time cause the noise to subside. The rats continued their riot, stampeding with such force and distinctness that I could finally assign to their motions a definite direction. These creatures, in numbers apparently inexhaustible, were engaged in one stupendous migration from inconceivable heights to some depth conceivably or inconceivably below. I now heard steps in the corridor, and in another moment two servants pushed open the massive door. They were searching the house for some unknown source of disturbance which had thrown all the cats into a snarling panic and caused them to plunge precipitately down several flights of stairs and squat yowling before the closed door to the sub-cellar i asked them if they had heard the rats but they replied in the negative negative. and when i turned to call their attention to the sounds in the panels i realized that the noise had ceased with the two men i went down to the door of the sub-cellar but found the cats already dispersed later i resolved to explore the crypt below but for the present I merely made a round of the traps. All were sprung, yet all were tenantless. Satisfying myself that no one had heard the rats save the felines and me, I sat to my study till morning, thinking profoundly, and recalling every scrap of legend I had unearthed concerning the building I inhabited.
1: I slept some in the forenoon, leaning back in one of the comfortable library chairs, which my medieval plan of furnishing could not banish. Later, I telephoned Captain Norris, who came over and helped me explore the cellar. Absolutely, fu- Absolutely nothing untoward was found, although we could not repress the thrill of the- at the knowledge that this vault was built by Roman hands. Every low arch and massive pillar was Roman, not the based Romanesque of the bungling Saxons, but the sev- severe and harmonious classicism of an age of Caesar's. Indeed, the walls abandoned with the inscriptions familiar to the antiquarians who had repeatedly explored the place. Things like P, G-E-A-T-A-E, P-R-O-P, T-E-M-P, D-O-N-A, L, P-R-A-E-C, V-S, P-O-N-T-I-F-I, A-T-Y-S. The reference to Addis made me shiver. For I had read Catullus and knew something of the hideous rites of the eastern eastern god, whose worship was so mixed with that of Sibyl, Norris and I, by the light of the lanterns, tried to interpret the odd and nearly effaced designs on certain irregular rectangular, certainly irregular rectangular blocks of stone, generally held to be altars, but can make nothing of them. We remembered that one pattern, a sort of rayed sun was held by students to imply a non-Roman origin suggesting that the altars had merely been adopted by the Roman priests from some older and perhaps Aboriginal temple on the same site on one of these blocks was some brown stained which made me wonder the largest in the center of the room had a certain feature had certain features on the upper surface which indicated its connection with fire probably burnt offerings such were the sights in the crypt before whose door the cats howled and where Norris and I now determined to pass the night couches were brought down by the servants who were told not to mind any nocturnal actions of the cats and sheriff bart was admitted as much for help as for companionship we decided to keep the great oak door a modern replica with slits for ventilation tightly closed and when this attended to we retired with lanterns to the still still burning to await whatever might occur
2: the vault was very deep in the foundations of the priory, and undoubtedly far down on the face of a beetling limestone cliff overlooking the waste valley. That it had been the goal of the scuffling and unexplainable rats I could not doubt, though why I could not tell. As we lay there expectantly, I found my vigil occasionally mixed with half formed dreams from which the uneasy motions of the cat across my feet would rouse me. These dreams were not wholesome, but horribly like the one I had the night before. I saw again the twilight grotto and the swine herd with his unmentionable fungus beast swallowing in filth, and as I looked at these things they seemed nearer and more distinct, so distinct that I could almost observe their features. Then I did observe the flabby features of one of them, and awake with such a scream that Sheriff Bart started up, while Captain Norris, who had not slept, laughed considerably. Norris might have laughed more, or perhaps less, had he known what it was that made me scream, but I did not remember myself until later ultimate horror often paralyzes memory in a merciful way norse waked me when the phenomena began out of the same frightful dream i was called by his gentle shaking and his urging to listen to the cats indeed there was much to listen to for beyond the closed door at the head of these stone steps was a veritable nightmare of feline yelling and clawing while sheriff bart unmindful of his kindred outside was running excitedly around the bare stone walls in which i heard the same babble of scurrying rats That had troubled me the night before an acute terror now rose within me for here were anomalies which nothing normal could well explain these rats if not the creatures of a madness which i shared with the cats alone must be burrowing and sliding in roman walls i had thought to be of solid limestone blocks unless the perhaps the action of water through more than 17 centuries had eaten winding tunnels which rodent bodies had worn clear and ample but even so the spectral horror was no less For if these were living vermin, why did not Norris hear their disgusting commotion? Why did he urge me to watch Sheriff Bart and listen to the cats outside? Why did he guess wildly and vaguely at what might have aroused
1: them? By the time I had managed to tell him as rationally as I could what I thought I was hearing, my ears gave me the last fading impression of the scurrying which had retired still down, which had retreated still downward, far underneath the deepest of the subcellars, till it seemed as if the whole cliff below were riddled with questing rats. Norris was not as sceptical as I had anticipated, but instead seemed profoundly moved. He motioned me to notice the cats at the door had ceased their clamor, as if giving up the rats for lost, while Sheriff Bart burst a renewed relentlessness and was clawing frantically at the bottom of a large stone altar in the center of the room, which was nearer Norris's couch than mine. My fear of the unknown was at this point very great. Something astounding had occurred, and I saw that Captain Norris, a younger, stouter, and presumably more naturally materialistic man, was affected fully as much as myself perhaps because of his lifelong and intimate familiarity with local legends. We could for the moment do nothing but watch the old black cat as he pawed, with, dis- with decreasing fervor, at the base of the altar, occasionally looking up and mewing at me in that pervasive manner with which he used when he wished for me to perform some favor for him.
2: Norris now took a lantern close to the altar and examined the place where Sheriff Bart was pawing silently kneeling and scraping away the lichens of centuries which joined the massive pre-Roman block to the tessellated floor. He did not find anything, and I was about to abandon his effort when I noticed a trivial circumstance which made me shudder, even though it implied nothing more than I had already imagined. I told him of it, and we both looked at its almost imperceptible manifestation with the fixedness of fascinated discovery and acknowledgement. It was only this, that the flame of the lantern set down near the altar... "'was slightly but certainly flickering "'from a draft of air which it had not before received "'and which came indubitably from the crevice "'between the floor and altar "'where Norris was scraping away the lichens. "'We spent the rest of the night "'in the brilliantly lighted study, "'nervously discussing what we should do next. "'The discovery that some vault deeper "'than the deepest known masonry of the Romans underlay this accursed pile, "'some vault unsuspected by the curious antiquarians "'of three centuries,' would have been sufficient to excite us without any background of the sinister. As it was, the fascination became twofold, and we paused in doubt whether to abandon our search and quit the Priory forever in superstitious caution, or to gratify our sense of adventure and brave whatever horrors might await us in the unknown depths. By morning, we had compromised and decided to go to London to gather a group of archeologists and scientific men fit to cope with the mystery. It should be mentioned that before leaving the sub-cellar, we had vainly tried to move the central altar, which we now recognized as the gate, to a a new pit of nameless fear. What secret would open the gate? Wiser men than we would have to find.
1: During many days in London, Captain Norris and I presented our facts, conjectures, and legendary anecdotes to five eminent authorities, all men who could have who could be trusted to respect any family disclosures of future, future explorations might develop. We found most of them disposed to scoff, but instead intensely interested and sincerely sympathetic. It is hardly necessary to name them all, but I may say that they included Sir Walter Brinton, whose ex- excavations in the Trode excited most of the world in their day. As we all took the train from Manchester, I felt myself poised on the brink of frightful revelations, a sensation symbolized by the air of mourning among many Americans at what was the, the unexpected death of the President on their side of the world on the evening of August seventh when we we reached Exham Priory, where several sev, where the servants assured me that nothing unusual had occurred, the cats, even old Sheriff Bart, had been perfectly placid, and not a trap in the house had been sprung. We were to begin exploring the following day, which I assigned well appointed rooms to my guests. I myself retired in my own tower chamber with Sheriff Bart across my feet. Sleep came quickly, but hideous dreams assailed me. There was a vision of a Roman feast like that of Trimalchio, with a horror in a covered with a horror in a covered platter. Then came the damnable recurrent thing about the swineherd and his filthy dro- drove in the twilight grotto. Yet when I awoke in full daylight with the normal sounds of. In the house below, the rats, living or spectral, had not troubled me, and Sheriff Bart was still quietly asleep. On going down, I found that the same tranquility had prevailed elsewhere, a condition which one of the assembled servants, a fellow named Thornton, devoted to the psychic, rather absurdly laid the fact that I had now been shown the thing which certain forces had wished to show me.
2: All was now ready, and at 11 a.m. our entire group of seven men bearing powerful electric searchlights and implements of excavation went down to the subcellar and bolted the door behind us. Sheriff Bart was with us, for the investigators found no occasion to despise his excitability, and were indeed anxious that he be present in case of obscure rodent manifestations. We noted the Roman inscriptions and unknown altar designs only briefly, for three of the savants had already seen them, and all... "'knew their, their characteristics. "'Prime attention was paid to the momentous central altar, "'and within an hour Sir William Brinton "'had caused it to tilt backward, "'bounced by some unknown species of counterweight. "'There now lay revealed such a horror "'as would have overwhelmed us had we not been prepared. "'Through a nearly square opening in the tiled floor, "'sprawling on a flight of stone steps so prodigiously worn "'that it was little more than an inclined plane at the centre was a ghastly array of human or semi-human bones. Those which retained their collocation as skeletons showed attitudes of panic fear, and over all were the marks of of rodent gnawing. The skulls denoted nothing short of utter idiocy, cretinism, or primitive semi-apedom. Above the hellishly littered steps arched a descending passage seemingly chiseled from the solid rock and conducting a current of air. This current was not a sudden and noxious rush as from a closed vault, but a cool breeze with something of freshness in it. We did not pause long, but shiveringly began to clear a passage down the steps. It was then that Sir William, examining the hewn walls, made the odd observation that the passage, according to the direction of the strokes, must have been chiseled from beneath." Damn, dude. Okay, okay, hold on. Just yeah. damn. Yeah. yeah. yeah damn, yeah. dude. Okay, uh, first point. Uh, another time in Lovecraft, we gotta get us a posse, boys. Let's get some London nerds. Let's get some <laughs> nerds from London. To make a posse. <laughs> can we play... F- I got another fucking Monster Hunter posse. Yeah. I love it. Uh, can we play Foggy Mountain uh, Roundup but with, like, bagpipes or something? Or, um... <laughs> <laughs> and again just oh god that's so good just that last little part there like okay somehow found a way to like cantilever the altar up you see all these like but okay but but also with the part with the steps being so worn down that it just looks like a slope um i think this was on reddit a couple weeks back it was like steps uh at the great wall of china that were so worn down in the middle That yeah it looked like a ramp So like I immediately had That kind of image come come to mind um, And then on top of everything else You find all this stuff You find all these bones Of uh, uh, Humanoid Or yeah like pre-hominid even uh, Skeletons yeah. And This weird passage Has been chiseled Like leading up to the surface, woo! Love it.
1: The the rats were coming from inside the house. Yeah, yeah like,
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Okay, all right. That got me there. But uh, but but we're 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 pressing forward or downward, I guess. Um, going on here, so <laughs> yeah,
1: going we're, we're we're going down down in a merry-go-round, sugar. We're going down with Sheriff Bork I'll be your number one with some Romans, Captain Norris Don't know what's coming. Rats in the walls. I don't know. Rats I don't know Fallout Boy. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have tried <laughs> no, that's, it. No, that was, was wrong wonderful. for trying it. No, that was wonderful. And I like reverse Icarus and just like face planted <laughs> into the ground. All right, here we go. <sighs> Negroni, time. Negroni time. I must be very deliberate now and choose my words. After plowing down a few steps amidst the gnaw bones, we saw that there was a light ahead. Not any mystic phosphorescence, but a filtered daylight, which could not have come except from from unknown fissures in the cliff over that overlooked the Waste Valley. That such fissures had escaped notice from the outside was hardly remarkable, for not only is this valley wholly uninhabited, but the cliff is so high and beetling that only an aeronaut could study its face in detail. A few more steps on our breaths were literally snatched from us by what we beheld. So literally that Thornton, a psychic investigator, actually fainted in the arms of the dazed man who stood behind him. Norris's plump face, utterly white and flabby, simply cried out inarticulately, whilst I think that I, what I did was gasp or hiss or cover my eyes. The man be- behind me, the only known of the party older than I, croaked the hackneyed, my god, in the most cracked voice I ever heard, of seven cultivated men only Sir William Brinton retained his composure, a thing that more to his credit because he led the party and must have seen the thing first. It was a twilight grotto of enormous height, stretching farther away than the eye could see, a subterraneous world of limitless mystery and horrible suggestion. There were buildings and other architectural remains. In one terrified glance I saw a weird pattern of tumuli, a savage circle of monoliths, a low-domed Roman ruin, ruin, A sprawling Saxon pile, an early English edifice of wood. But all of these were dwarfed by the ghoulish spectacle presented by the general surface of the ground. For yards for yards about the steps extended an insane tangle of human bones, or bones at least of humans as those on the steps. Like a foamy sea they stretched, some fallen but others wholly or not partly articulated as skeletons... These latter and invariably in postures of demonic frenzy, either fighting off some menace or clutching other forms with cannibal intent.
2: When Dr. Trask, the anthropologist stooped to classify the skulls, he found a degraded mixture, which utterly baffled him. They were mostly lower than the Piltdown man in the scale of evolution, but in every case, definitely human. Many were of higher grade and uh, very few were the skulls of supremely and sensitively developed types. All the bones were gnawed, mostly by rats, but somewhat by others of the half-human drove. Mixed with them were many tiny bones of rat, fallen members of the lethal army which closed the epic, which closed the ancient ancient epic. I wonder that any man among us lived and kept his sanity through that hideous day of discovery. Not Hoffmann nor Hoymans could conceive a scene more wildly incredible, more frenetically repellent or more gothically grotesque than the twilight grotto through which we seven staggered, each stumbling on revelation after revelation, and trying to keep for the nonce from thinking of the events which must have taken place there three hundred years, or a thousand, or two thousand, or ten thousand years ago. It was the antechamber of hell, and poor Thornton fainted again when Trask told him that some of the skeleton things must have descended as quadrupeds Through the last 20 or more generations horror piled on horror As we began to interpret the architectural Remains The the quadruped things With their occasional recruits from the biped Class have been kept in stone Pens out of which they must have Broken in their last delirium Of hunger or rat fear God that's a great compound word Rat fear (laughs)
1: Yeah it is rat fear holy shit
2: Drink for rat fear Drink for rat fear There had been great herds of them, evidently fattened on the coarse vegetables whose remains could be found as a sort of poisonous ensilage at the bottom of huge stone bins older than Rome. I knew now why my ancestors had had such excessive gardens. Would to heaven I could forget the purpose of the. Oh God! Damn. Yeah, again, the purpose of the herds. I did not have to ask.
1: <laughs> I just. I know, I've read this, I know what's coming, and just, oh god, it's great. Yeah, oh god, it's, it's so, so good. good. Oh, it's so good.
2: Oof, woo, woo,
1: woo. <laughs> Sir William, standing with his searchlight in the Roman ruin, translated aloud the most shocking ritual I have ever known, and told the, and told of the diet of the antediluvian cult of the priests of Sibley, found and mingled with their own. Norris, used as he was to was to the trenches, could not walk straight when he came out of the English building. It was a butcher's shop and a kitchen. He expected that, but it was too much to see familiar English implements in such a place, or to read the familiar English graffiti there, some as recent as 1610. I could not go into that building. That building, whose demon activities were stopped only by the da- only by the dagger of my ancestor Walter Delapore. What I did venture to enter, the low Saxon building whose oaken door had fallen. There I found a terrible row of ten stone cells with rusty bars, three had tenants, all skeletons of high grade, and on the bony forefinger of one I found a steel ring of my own coat of arms. Sir William found a vault with far older cells below the Roman chapel, but these cells were empty. Below them was a low crypt with cases of formally arranged bones, some of them bearing terrible, terrible parallel inscriptions carved in Latin, Greek, and the tongue of Phrygia. Meanwhile, Doctor Trask had opened one of the prehistoric tumuli and brought out and brought to light skulls which were slightly more human than a gorilla's and which bore indescribably ideographic carvings. Through all of this horror, my cat stalked unperturbed. Once, I saw him monstrously perched atop a mountain of bones and wondered at the secrets that might lie behind his yellow eyes.
0: Oh, Sheriff Bart. <laughs> Oh my
2: god! Okay. Also, just just one other thing, because my theater history nerd brain activated. Um, yes. English graffiti, some as recent as sixteen ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the date we have for William Shakespeare's uh, play the Tempest.
1: Jesus Christ!
2: So that's wild. That's wild.
1: That's cool. I, was like, I love that idea that like the world's being cool and Shakespeare's doing the Tempest yep. and these motherfuckers <laughs> are eating humans.
2: Okay, sorry. Yeah, okay, here we go. Um, Having grasped to some slight degree the frightful revelations of this twilight area, an area so hideously foreshadowed by my recurrent dream, we turned to that apparently boundless depth of midnight cavern where no ray of light from from the cliff could penetrate. We shall never know what sightless Stygian worlds yawn beyond the little distance we went, for it was decided that such secrets... "'are not good for mankind.'" Oh, man, drink for that one. Drink.
0: "'There
2: was plenty to engross us close at hand, "'for we had not gone far before the searchlights showed "'that accursed infinity of pits in which the rats had feasted, "'and whose sudden lack of replenishment "'had driven the ravenous rodent army first to turn on the living herds of starving things, "'and then to burst forth from the priory "'in that historic orgy of devastation "'which the peasants will never forget.'" God, those carrion black pits of sod picked bones and opened skulls, those nightmare chasms choked with the pithecanthropoid, Celtic, Roman, and English bones of countless unhallowed centuries. Some of them were full, and none can say how deep they had once been. Others were still bottomless to our searchlights and peopled by unnameable fancies. What I thought of the hapless rats that stumbled into such traps amidst the blackness in their quests in this grisly Tartarus.
1: Once my foot slipped near a horribly yawning brink, and I had a moment of ecstatic fear. I must have been musing a long time, for I could not see any of my party but the fat, er, but the plump no- Captain Norris and there came a sound from what the inky boundless farther distance that i thought i knew and i saw my old black cat dart past me like a winged egyptian god straight into the illimitable gulf of the unknown but i was not far behind for there was no doubt after another second it was the eldritch scurrying of those fiend-born rats always questing for new horrors and determined to lead me Unto those grinning caverns of Earth's center, where Nyarlathotep, the faceless god, howls blindly in the darkness, to the piping of two amorphous idiot flute players. My searchlight expired, but still I ran. I heard voices and yowls and echoes, but above all, the gently rose that impietous, insidious scurrying, gently rising, rising as a stiff, bloated corpse gently rising above the oily river that flows underneath an endless onyx bridges to the black, putrid sea." something bumped into me something soft and plump it must have been the rats the viscous gelatinous ravenous army that feasted on the dead and the living why shouldn't rats eat the delapore as the delapore eats the forbidden things the war ate my boy damn them all all the yanks ate carfax with the flames and burnt grandsire delapore with the secret no no, I tell you, I am not that demon swine herd in the twilight grotto. It was not Edward Norris's face on that flabby fungus thing. Who says I am a Delapore? He lived, but my boy died? Shall Norris hold the lands of a Delapore? It's Voodoo, I tell you. The spot that spotted snake. Curse you, Thornton, I'll teach you to faint to what my family do. Splud, thou stinkard, I'll learn ye how to gust. Wold ye swanky, me filky ways, Magna Mater, Magna Mater, Addis, ad Ad Am Dom Danas Dolors Ort
2: That is what they say I said when they found me in the blackness after three hours. Found me crouching in the blackness over the plump, half eaten body of Captain Norris, with my own cat leaping and tearing at my throat. And now they have blown up Exum Priory, taken my sheriff Bard away from me. And shut me into this barred room at Hanwell with fearful with fearful whispers about my heredity and experiences. Thornton is in the next room, but they prevent me from talking to him. They are trying too to suppress most of the facts concerning the priory. When I speak of poor Norris, they accuse me of a hideous thing. But they must know that I did not do it. They must know that it was the rats, the slithering, scurrying rats. Whose scampering will never let me sleep, the demon rats that race behind the padding in this room, and beckon me down to greater horrors than I have ever known, the rats that they can never hear, the rats, the rats in the walls.
0: God oh, damn! Yeah, so good, <laughs> so
1: good. I just.
2: Oh, Oh,
1: Jesus. Oh, God. I love it. But it's like, it's such a, it's a literal descent into madness. Right. And like.
2: Yeah. Well, and the, and the, the, the image that really gets me is like, he's, he's, he's describing the pits that are either like all the way filled up with these skeletons and bones or, or the ones that are so empty that you like, can't, your flashlight doesn't even show anything and like oh man
0: oh shit it's that's such a good one it's
2: so good and yes we for again for as problematic as his name is sweet sheriff bart um he's the real hero of this story (laughs) because if it weren't for him yes he is if if it weren't for him yeah geez oh god (laughs) (laughs) dog is man's best friend i think not i think not it's, <laughs>
1: it's so good that image of him just sitting on the like mountain of skulls and he's like i wonder what he was seeing oh
2: yeah god yeah what he was seeing or smelling or perceiving or oh god
1: it's just like death that's what sheriff bart was seeing was death like yeah holy shit and well and because because yeah there's uh there's there's
2: there there's reports of this and i think there's some credence to it that yeah like animals can uh sense like earthquakes like or or like other like kind of catastrophic wild things before we humans can but yeah just this image of him perched on this uh yeah pile of horror <laughs> just kind of like looking proudly out into this vast underground i was also re- reminded a bit of um our hollow earth uh episode yes like oh god yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh, god
1: <laughs> like what is what's what's there and it's just i like it i also too kind of like how lovecraft gets kind of like preemptively shitty with his critics mm-hmm Like, he has the line of, I realize how trite it is that the master's dog sees the ghost in the story. Like, he's even calling out, he's like, look, 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 I know you're all going to talk shit, because, oh, his cat saw the thing first, but fuck you, because I'm calling it out. Like, I love that.
2: Right, yeah, he's, yeah, he's... um...
1: Or he called out the hackneyed, my god. Like, (laughs) it's... He's kind of, like, self-criticizing, or maybe he's, like, calling out other... You know, others of his contemporaries, I like that idea. Right. No,
2: like it it, it is. I'm reminded of, and this is going to be like a a very strange kind of poll, but back in my um, uh, uh, high school English teaching days, trying to like get across this concept to freshmen, like, okay, if you're writing a persuasive essay, you have to like anticipate, like, what what somebody who disagrees with you might say. And say so like, okay, and I know you're going to bring this up, but I already thought of that, so check this out. Like, I'm I'm, I'm going to like counterbox you before you even like throw your punch. And yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. And, and it does. It does lend, I think, a lot of, yeah, uh, ethos to this narrator. So like, look, I understand how ridiculous this is. I know this is a stereotype that like, the dogs are like acting weird before some before a ghost shows up but i swear this is what happened um so yeah that's also pretty sweet
1: <laughs> it's great
2: <laughs> so good I,
1: and i just I, the cat's going crazy and i love it and like I, okay. So I have this problem though. Hmm. And he says, I need hardly name the members of my party. He names Sir William Brinton Mm -hmm. because he's a big hot shit, whatever. But then he names the other dudes in his party later on. And it would have been nice to know that like Thornton was in his party, but I guess it works because he later mentions that he's a psychic investigator, but yeah. Or, you know, he's like, he's like the psychic, but that kind of, or, or like, uh, I don't even know how you say his name you i think you hit it right but it's like humans or something and it's just like where'd you find this dude like i don't know
2: right well because and the uh yeah the the other lovecraft posse i'm thinking of is is of course um from the color out of space where he yeah he specifies like these dudes were geologists this guy was a chemist the -hmm. this was the sheriff this was his deputy and so yeah so i am missing that sort of All right. I mean, for
1: Christ's sake, dude. This could be the Lovecraftian seven. There's seven of them. Show me the scene where where Thornton is like Professor Xing, like into the next realm. Show me, you know, like fucking um William Brenton's teaching a class and he's bored as shit Mm -hmm. and he's just like talking Mm -hmm. about like the Precambrian strata and or or whatever and like. Fucking Delaporte throws the door open is like, I got a job. And, like, Britton just, like, because he's, like, ripped to shit because that's how much he loves this dude. That's why he's named first. He just, like, takes a piece of chalk and whips it at fucking Billy, nails him in the head, gives him a light concussion. Like, Hulk busts out of his sleeves, you son of a bitch, I'm in. And they're, like, run off together. Show me this scene, Lovecraft. Just show me you recruiting him. And, I okay, I get it. This is a movie trope from what 40 years before Lovecraft or after Lovecraft died, whatever. But fuck you, Lovecraft, you figure it out. No, Get so yeah,
2: so so yeah, I want, yeah, the narrator, uh, to leave, yeah, like walk into the like a pub somewhere, wherever this is in Anchester, and be like, Notice, you son of a bitch, and then they clasp hands, their <laughs> biceps just explode. Okay, so so yeah, let's do this thing We're we're we are making the film adaptation and I know there's, yeah, like, like comic books, whatever, whatever, but okay. So yeah, film adaptation of the rats in the walls. Um, who, yeah. Who were some of your casting ideas for like the narrator for Norris, for, uh, Sir William for Thornton. What do you think?
1: So, so first of all, you said it in modern times and effectively you Mr. Deeds it. To where oh, like okay, I can dig it. So number one, Liam Neeson is uh, Delapore. We're getting yes. Liam Neeson to be him, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's like pretty old, or not pretty old, but he's reasonably old at this point. So he like has that commanding presence. He can deliver that gravitas. Mm-hmm. The idea that like Liam Neeson like choking out what I'm gonna right now cast as um oh who's the fat kid Josh jonah hill (laughs) he's choking out jonah hill as norris which would be great because i want to see jonah hill do an english accent like him choking him out like the warhead my boy but you live damn you i've got a set of skills for kicking your ass like um yeah so it's that but he's running like a coffee shop in like a sleepy like boston suburb or something and like he's just happy doing his shit but then he gets a letter and it's like um hey we were there. Was the there? We were dicking around in the fucking Virginia South or whatever. Ooh. And we found this like box of shit, and you're named in it. And come to find out, like you're the like set, you know long lost lost you right. know descendant yeah. of this. You're getting the Mr. Deeds effect. You're not the direct des- descendant. Get rid of the family history because I feel like it's really just like ha ha, we were all white. But I kind of appreciate the idea <laughs> yeah. that everybody who's white is a piece of shit in a Lovecraft <laughs> story. <laughs> so that's kind of neat. So maybe we keep that in there. Well, um, and and I also
2: yeah I also like the letter because cause it was like this was this like letter or or like the contents of the letter was passed down from from father to son father to son, and that's how this was maintained for for so long until um oh, yeah, the one Delapore said, nah, y'all crazy and he and he killed it, and he killed the rest of his family and bounced to the, the state yeah but yeah, so but no, I, I think I do agree with you though, like we can set it in the modern day have have the Delapore son. Cause, cause I think that's the other part too. Right. It's like this, like the, the narrator is the end of the Delapore line.
1: Um, holy shit. The, okay. So his son, um, was like a, his son got Iraq his son got IED yeah, in Iraq. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
2: And then <laughs> and I do <laughs> like difference. Jonah Hill for Norris, uh, which like, could be kind of fun to hear him like struggle for an English accent. Uh, or we could go Ricky Gervais because
1: I think Ricky Gervais could be a pretty good Norris. Um, but I'm thinking, but I'm thinking age range too against Neeson because they've got to be younger, okay? Yeah, true. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know, whatever, no. yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but I that's yeah. true because yeah, like Norris in the sun. but uh-huh.
1: also it would make him ripping out Ricky Gervais's throat even cooler. <laughs> oh, what well, we're gonna go over to Exum... Priory, get, uh, get rats in the walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sent, I sent him to Exon Priory. He doesn't know there's rats in the walls. I'm waiting for the phone call now. <laughs> Ricky, Ricky, for God's sake, help! There's rats in these fucking walls. I had rats in the fucking walls back home. getting me home. Yeah, yeah, we'll get right on it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. I fucking loved an idiot abroad. Like yeah. <laughs> I know we were gonna read another story. Fuck it. Let's talk about how great a premise oh my an, in, an idiot oh, abroad
2: was. An idiot like, abroad is so good. Okay, so no, he, he, here we go. It's Carl who has <laughs> who is in who has inherited this like, yeah, old church building.
1: <laughs> Fuck Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and
2: uh oh and what's his no- wife's name? Suzanne? Susanna? Sure. I, Some, yeah, something I, I, like I that? Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so moved into the priory and uh, Susan wants me to put new curtains up. And I'm like, what for? We're living out here alone. I want to be able to look out. Nobody's going to be looking in. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Carl! <laughs> Carl, you twit! <laughs> And then there's like Goofy Stephen Merchant just going along here like, "Oh yes, yes, of course."
0: <laughs> oh fuck.
1: Oh
2: lord. Oh god. Oh jeez. Oh god. Oh, geez. Bradley
1: Cooper is the voice Bradley. of Sheriff Bart. Yeah, Bradley Cooper is
2: this yeah, the voice of Sheriff Bart. Okay, but then but
1: he's playing at a hundred percent straight the whole time. Like, okay,
2: but then here's the question: Do we do CGI cat or do we do like an actual trained cat to um, jump up on this pile of skulls and to like frantically scrabble it, um, at at the light crack?
1: I'm thinking like Salem puppet from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Okay, Leech. yeah, mm-hmm. yep. I can dig it. Like we, we, yeah. You can have the like live action cat that you train to run up and yeah. down the baseboards chasing the rats. You can have the live action cat that like leaps at the tapestry and rips it apart. But then but when he's like sitting practical. atop the school, yeah. then it's like he's like, "Whoa, this shit's crazy!" Like, yeah, you know. I yeah no I, yeah I can get behind that. I can absolutely get get, get behind that. Um, make practical effects great again. Goddammit! Yeah.
2: Damn it. R- oh my god! So, uh, dark crystal show like not the movie but they like like yeah
1: the like netflix one
2: god like yeah like that's so like having actual puppets and like actual like little miniatures that, that you build it makes such a huge difference and you can tell you can tell when it's like oh no this is a cgi uh uh segment of them like falling down a cliff or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Make, make practical effects great again. Um, and yeah, like even like old, like, yeah. Like when they're in the big cavern that has all the skulls and stuff. Yeah. Make that, make that practical effects as as much as possible. Um,
1: Oh God. (laughs) It like this one, I really think should be an adaptation. like, yeah, I think this
2: has a lot of uh legs for the stage adaptation as well. Which again, like you don't you don't try to put the cavern on stage, but you put the actors in character reacting to seeing that mm. on stage. Um and you could do so, so yeah, you like build your like flats, right? And I know that like it's like I love him to death, but it's honestly getting to the point where he's phoning it in. Um, But our old alma mater, uh, theater professor, every like three years does a Christmas carol. And it's the same goddamn door when Scrooge walks up to his house and it's a little (laughs) bit of fabric that whatever actor who's portraying Marley like presses up and goes, Scrooge, but like, like, okay, Taylor, you've done that for like, 12 years now man Come on You gotta You gotta Break out of your shell Um But Point being You could do Like do that effect For the rats In the walls Right You You have your box set And you have This restored castle And then yeah You just have like 12 dudes Like running their fists Across these like Fabric Kind of like Yeah like half Hollywood Half Broadway flats so you see the like yeah. fists running down, and it looks like they're just the walls are like pulsating with with rats. And ah, that'd be badass. That'd be so badass.
1: Now, see, if I was gonna do it, I would do it as like I'd call it like '70s or like the the weird adventure movies, like mm. the Journey to the X of the X or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like. You have these grand sweeping, like, map paintings with the characters, like, reacting to it. Shoot it on a super, like, shitty quality kind of VHS. Yeah. Or, or, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's going to be, like, that daytime movie quality. There's going to be the pops and the fuzz in it. But that just adds to kind of the horror. Like, mm-hmm. have the shitty, like, painting of the cat's eyes. Like, as you know I know I'm, I'm fixated on the skull pile, but, like, that image is, like, in my yeah. head. Oh, God, and absolutely. just, like... Like shittily paint like yellow over it, so like you can kind of tell it's fake, but it's not that fake, and it's a gross image. Like, right? Yeah. But then on, but then like super cut in with like, have Norris have shots of who have shots of um, oh Josh, help me out. Have shots of Jonah Hill like (laughs) in the demon swineherd makeup, just. Just oh, it's a throwaway shot. It's literally like cut in sequences mm-hmm. of his nightmares, and those are like weirdly animated. I don't know. No, I no, I'm I'm with you. I I, I think this.
2: Uh, I, I would love to take throw away. money
1: at this with like the modern scope on like a shitty 70s film, but like yeah. we're shooting it right now. Right, right. Yeah.
2: Well, and, and and that's what I was gonna point out. I I think the takeaway is that the rats in the walls is a uh, criminally underutilized piece of lovecraft um like okay sure you have your your uh colorado spaces you have your reanimators whatever but yeah like somebody out there pick up this baton um that we two wizards are handing off to you and just baby run with it (laughs) and we will we will be there to support you
1: um, or let's you and I learn how to animate. Yeah, we could do that too. Yeah, goddammit. Because um, also, like, uh, this would be badass as a fucking Jendy Tartakovsky. Cartoon. Oh my god,
2: like. this would be amazing, is it? Well, okay, so.
1: But I anything. feel bad saying that because that's my answer to everything is like, yeah, fuck it make it, J- yeah. Jendy Tartakovsky. It'll be great. It's like, it can't all be that. uh fuck you. Yes, it can. Like,
2: Or other uh, f- uh, famed uh, artist, animator who has already taken on. A, an amazing adaptation of uh, Frankenstein, uh, Junji Ito. This is like a oh, first, be so oh my cool. god, this would be badass. This would be a badass Junji Ito. Um, yeah, like short. Yeah, just like a, like a one-off kind of thing. Uh, but but I'll, so I, I I do kind of agree, Mark, that like yeah, just like getting horned up for rats in the walls. Uh, but but yet I feel I feel like. I don't know, this this is also make this is also making me think of like other kind of lovecrafty animal y stuff. And oh yeah. And like this is this one's pretty short and, and I think we can fit it in to our like kind of what we're aiming for for usual two wizards podcast uh time time frame here. There's this other little teeny tiny one called The Hound. Oh which I think The Hound. You, you know, I'm biased. I'm a cat person. So, of course, any story that has Sheriff Bart in it, I want to, you know, p- put it on the air. But I'm also will, uh, yeah, like tip my hat to our listeners who are maybe more dog people. Uh, maybe not after hearing this one. But, y- you know, what? why don't we do it? Why don't we take it? it's? It's super short in two parts. Why don't we try The Hound real quick?
1: Also, um, Josh, okay, so I got this figured out. Okay. I, c- I can match... I can justify us doing two of these, right? Okay, yep. So we're drinking Negronis, mm-hmm. right? N I, gronies. Now, in Japanese, you go each knee. Knee is the number oh. two. We're doing two Lovecraft, knee Lovecraft by knee Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, yeah. Here's the hound.
2: In my tortured ears, there sounds unceasingly a nightmare, whirring and flapping, and a faint, distant baying as of some gigantic hound. It is not dream, it is not, I fear, even madness, for too much has already happened to give me these dou- these merciful doubts. stygian is a mangled corpse, I alone know why, and such is my knowledge that I am about to blow out my brains, for fear I shall be mangled in the same way. Down unlit and illimitable corridors of eldritch fantasy sweeps the black, shapeless nemesis that drives me to self-annihilation. May heaven forgive the folly and morbidity which led us both to so monstrous a fate, wearied with the commonplaces of a prosaic world, where even the joys of romance and adventure soon grow stale, Stygian and I had followed enthusiastically every aesthetic and intellectual movement which promised respite from our devastating ennui. The enigmas of the symbolists and the ecstasies of the pre-Raphaelites were all ours in their time, but each new mood was drained too soon of its diverting novelty and appeal. Only the somber philosophy of the decadence could hold us, and this we found potent only by increasing gradually the depth and diabolism of our penetrations. Baudelaire and Hoymans soon exhausted of thrills till finally there remained for us only the more direct stimuli of unnatural personal experiences and adventures. It was this frightful emotional need which led us eventually to that detestable course, which even in my present fear I mentioned with shame and timidity that hideous extremity of human outrage, the abhorred practice of grave robbing.
1: I cannot reveal the details of our shocking expeditions or catalog even partly the worst of the trophies adorned the nameless museum we prepared in the great stone house where we jointly dwelt, alone and servantless. Our museum was bl- a blasphemous, unthinkable place, where, with the satanic taste of neurotic virtuoso- virt- virtuosi, had we... <clears throat> With the satanic taste of neurotic virtuosi Jesus Christ, we assembled a universe of terror and decay to excite our jaded sensibilities. It was a secret room far far underground where huge winged demon carvings of basalt and onyx vomited from wide grinning mouths weird green-orange light and in pneumatic pipes ruffled into kaleidoscopic dances of death in the lines of red charnel things, hand inwoven in voluminous black hangings. Through these pipes came at will the odors our moods most crave, sometimes the scent of pale funeral lilies, sometimes necrotic incense of imagined eastern shrines of the kingly dead, and sometimes, how I shudder to recall it, the frightful soul-upheaving stenches of the uncovered grave. Around the walls of this repellent chamber were cases of, a- of antique mummies, alternating with comely, lifelike bodies, perfectly stuffed and cured by the taxidermist's art, and with headstones snatched from the oldest churchyards in the world. Niches here and there contained skulls of all shapes and heads preserved in various stages of dissolution. There may might, there one might find the rotting bald pates of famous noblemen and fresh and radiantly golden heads of new buried children statues and
2: paintings there were all of fiendish subjects and some executed by Stygian and myself a locked portfolio bound in tanned human skin held certain unknown and unnameable drawings which it was rumored goya had perpetrated but dared not acknowledge there were nauseous musical instruments stringed brass and woodwind on which Stygian and i sometimes produced dissonances of exquisite morbidity and cacodemoniacal ghastliness, while in a multitude of inlaid ebony cabinets reposed the most incredible and unimaginable variety of tomb loot ever assembled by human madness and perversity. It is of this loot in particular that I must not speak. Thank God I had the courage to destroy it long before I thought of destroying myself. The predatory excursions on which we collected our unmentionable treasures were always artistically memorable events. We were no vulgar ghouls, but worked only under certain conditions of mood, landscape, environment, weather, season, and moonlight. These pastimes were to us the most exquisite form of aesthetic expression, and we gave their details a fastidious technical care. An inappropriate hour, a jarring lighting effect, or a clumsy manipulation of the damp sod would almost totally destroy for us that ecstatic titillation of, which followed the, ex- the exhumation of some, omin- of some ominous grinning secret of the earth. Our quest for novel scenes and piquant conditions was feverish and insatiate. stygian was always the leader, and he it was who led the lo- way at last to that mocking, that accursed spot which brought us our hideous and inevitable doom.
1: By what malign fatality we were lured to that terrible Holland churchyard? I think it was a dark, the dark rumor and legendary, the tales of one buried for five centuries, who had himself been a ghoul in time and had stolen a potent thing from my, from a mighty sepulchre. I recall the scene in these final moments: the pale autumnal moon over the graves, casting long, horrible shadows; the grotesque trees drooping sullenly to meet the neglected grass, and the crumbling slabs and vast legions of strangely colossal bats that flew against the moon. The antique ivy church pointing a huge spectral finger at the livid sky, the phosphorescent insects that danced like death fires under the yews that mingled feebly with the night wind from, o- from over far swamps and seas, and, worst of all, the faint deep-toned baying of some gigantic hound, which we can neither see nor definitely place. As we heard the suggestion of baying, we shuddered. Remembering the tales of the peasantry, for whom we had sought, had centuries before, found this in the same, in the self-same spot, torn and mangled by the claws and teeth of some unspeakable beast. I... Remember how we delved in the ghoul's grave with our spades, and how we thrilled at the picture of ourselves, the grave, the pale watching moon, the horrible shadows, the grotesque trees, the titanic bats, the antique church, the dancing death fires, the sickening odors, and the gently moaning night wind, and the strange half-heard directionless baying of whose object objective existence we could scarcely be sure fuck you you just wrote the same thing twice lovecraft holy shit i get it you get paid by the word or whatever but fuck you okay right yeah fuck you fuck you fuck you like you just told us the same thing twice like in this essay i will prove that in this essay i will attempt to prove like okay sorry yeah sorry sorry then we
2: struck a substance harder than the damp mold and beheld a rotting, oblong box crusted with mineral deposits from the long, undisturbed ground. It was incredibly tough and thick, but so old that we finally pried it open and feasted our eyes on what it held. Much, amazingly much, was left of the object despite the lapse of five hundred years. The skeleton, though crushed in places by the jaws of the thing that had killed it, held together with surprising firmness, and we gloated over the clean white skull in its long, firm teeth and its eyeless sockets that once had glowed with a charnel fever like our own. In the coffin lay an amulet of curious and exotic design, which had apparently been worn around the sleeper's neck. It was the oddly conventionalized figure of a crouched, winged hound, or a sphinx with a semi-canine face, and was exquisitely carved in in antique Oriental fashion from a small piece of green jade. The expression on its features was repellent in the extreme, savoring at once of death, bestiality, and malevolence. Around the base was an inscription in characters with, which neither Stygian nor I could identify, and on the bottom, like a maker's seal, was graven a
1: grotesque and formidable skull. Immediately upon beholding this amulet, we knew that we must possess it, that this treasure alone was our logical pelf for the century grave. Even had its outlines been unfamiliar, we would have desired it. But we looked. But as we looked more closely, we saw that the thing was not wholly unfamiliar. Alien, indeed it was to all art and literature, which sane and balanced readers know, but we recognized that it hinted at the forbidden necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul Hazard drink drink
2: air horn do, 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 do. air horn thunderclap
1: Abdullah <laughs> um, The mad Arab Abdullah Hasrid the ghastly soul symbol of the corpse eating cult of the inaccessible lang of in central asia all too well did we trace the sinister uh, "'Liniments' described by the old Arab demonologist. "'Liniments,' he wrote, "'drawn from some obscure supernatural manifestation of the soul, "'of who vexed and gnawed at the dead. "'Seizing the green jade object, "'we gave a last glance at the bleached and cavern-eyed face of its owner "'and closed up the grave as we had found it. "'We hastened to our from the abhorrent spot "'the stolen amulet in Sijin's pocket.' We thought we saw bats descend in a body to the earth that we had so lately rifled, as if seeking for some cursed and unholy nourishment. But the autumn moon shone weak and pale, we could not be sure. So too, as we sailed the next day away from Holland to our home, we thought we heard a faint distant bang of some gigantic hound in the background. But the autumn wind moaned, sad and wan, and we could not be sure. Less than a week after our return to England, strange things began to happen. We live as recluses, devoid of friends, alone, without servants, in a few rooms of an ancient manor house on a bleak and unfrequented moor, so that our doors were seldom disturbed by the knock of visitors.
2: Okay, so, oh, so if these pairings—the rats in the walls and the hound—if yeah. they aren't already like related uh, by. By, yeah, like pets, by dogs and cats mm-hmm. They're also related by being uh, partially set in England Yeah Which only, like, slightly gives me pause Because, fingers crossed, I'm on this study abroad program this summer And I'll be spending, like, three weeks out of a month um, there in England So goddamn, man
1: <laughs> Little do you know that I'm going to, like, ship up to England with you And we're going to go grave robbing <laughs>
2: We're gonna go. Which again, like, man, you want to talk about, uh, yeah, first world problems. <laughs> like, uh, I have such ennui. Life is. Uh, I, I can't find any satisfaction of life. Even Goya, who painted that horrific, Kronos eats his son. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, or yeah, like Kronos devouring his yeah Saturn. His children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: it's psh,
2: uh, <laughs> i'm so yeah you, you gotta take up grave robbing so
1: maybe I'll save this or maybe I should save this for the end but I'll just drop it now um I think lovecraft yes. is making fun of the British Museum <laughs> i think he's talking some good shit about him like we we could only grave rob but it was the best time for us he 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 i mean like just, ugh, um I
2: can't even get it half half chub if i'm not stealing something from another culture but it had
1: to be the right (laughs) part of it and we lit it made it all cool and pretty Ooh, eat a dick all of you natives
2: Ooh. and if the moon wasn't shining just right
1: (laughs) i've heard before like in discussions of i i forget where i've heard it slash read it i want to say it's not joshi because we don't stand Joshi. I don't stand Joshi. But um, right, this right. is one of those weird Lovecraft ones where he's trying to deal with the possibility that maybe he's gay because him and mm. so the narrator across from uh, Stygian, mm-hmm. it talks about like how he is. It's this weird, like, think about statement of Randolph Carter and the narrator mm-hmm. is he's he's the weaker one. He's the submissive one to Randolph Carter. And now um right. once again we are the submissive to stygian And just little things like this. I think it's neat. Mm-hmm. I like the idea. We lived alone. Our house was a fucking horror show. And it's like, no, right. you had butt sex. It's okay, big guy. Calm down. Yeah. Yeah. Lovecraft standing Oscar Wilde or something.
2: <laughs> right. 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 No. Now, however, we were troubled by what seemed to be frequent fumblings in the night, not only around the doors, but around the windows also, upper as well as lower. Once we fancied that a large, opaque body darkened the library window when the moon was shining against it. And another time we thought we heard a whirring or flapping sound not far off. On each occasion, investigation revealed nothing and we began to ascribe the occurrences to imagination alone, that same curiously disturbed imagination which still pr- prolonged in our ears by the faint far baying we thought we had heard in the Holland churchyard. The jade amulet now reposed in a niche in our museum, and sometimes we burned strangely scented candles before it. We read
1: much in Hazred's Necronomicon.
0: Oh, excuse me. Oh, I thought you were like Ooh,
1: drink. Also drink every time they say Hazred's Necronomicon. Listeners, you drink too. Drink every time you hear this sound.
2: We read much in Al Hazred's Necronomicon about its properties, and about the relation of ghouls' souls to the objects it symbolized, and we were disturbed by what we read. Then terror came. On the night of september twenty fourth, nineteen blank, I heard a knock at my chamber door. Fancying it Stygens, I bade the knocker enter, but was answered only by a shrill laugh. There was no one in the corridor. When I aroused Stygian from his sleep, he professed entire ignorance of the event and became as worried as I. It was that night that the faint, distant baying over the moor became to us a certain and dreaded reality. Four days later, whilst we both were in the hidden museum, there came a low, cautious scratching at the single door which led to the secret library staircase. Our alarm was now divided, for besides our fear of the unknown, we had always entertained a dread that our grisly collection might be discovered. Extinguishing all lights, we proceeded to the door and threw it suddenly open, whereupon we felt an unaccountable rush of air and heard as if receding far away a queer combination of rustling tittering and articulate chatter whether we were mad dreaming or in our senses we did not try to determine we only realized with the blackest of apprehensions that the apparently disembodied chatter was beyond a doubt in the dutch language
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry no just that. I'm sorry. You, okay, I love I love Lovecraft. I think he is a fucking master of horror. But you can't tell me that you end a sentence and give a paragraph break. In the Dutch language. We, we only realized with the blackest apprehensions that the apparently disembodied chatter was beyond a doubt. In the Dutch language. Like, I just... Alright, it's cool. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's... I'm a big boy. I got the giggles. I'm all horned up. I'm all Negronied (laughs) out. I just... (laughs) After that, we lived in growing horror and fascination. Mostly, we held to the theory that we were jointly going mad from our life of unnatural excitements, but sometimes it pleased us more to dramatize ourselves as the victims of some creeping and appalling doom. Bizarre manifestations were now too frequent to count. Our lonely house was seemingly alive with the presence of some malign being, whose nature we could not guess, and every night that demonic baying rolled over the wind swept more, always louder and louder. On October the 29th, we found the soft earth underneath the library window, a series of footprints utterly impossible to describe. They were as baffling as the hordes of great bats, which haunted the old manor house in unprecedented and increasing numbers. The horror reached a culmination on November 18th when Stygian, walking home after dark from the dismal railway, sta- railway station, was seized by some frightful carnivorous thing and torn to rib- Jesus Christ! Okay, cool, sorry. <laughs> Fuck, Stygen got fucking got.
2: You, got you guys, Stygen
1: got got. I'm reacting in real time. Stygian got got his screams had reached the house and I hastened to the terrible scene in time to hear a whir of wings and some vaguely black cloud that thing silhouetted silhouetted against the rising moon my friend was dying when I spoke to him and he could not answer coherently all he could do was whisper
0: the amulet
1: that damned thing then he collapsed an inert mass of mangled flesh I buried him the next midnight in one of our neglected gardens and mumbled over his body one of the devilish rituals which he had loved in life. And as I pronounced the last de- demoniac sentence, I heard afar on the moor the faint baying of some gigantic hound. The moon, was, the moon was up, but I dared not look at it. And what I saw in the dim lighted moor was a, wi- a wide nebulous shadow sweeping from mound to mound. I shut my eyes and threw myself face down upon the ground. When I arose trembling, I know not how much later I staggered into the house and made shocking obeisance before the enshrined amulet of green jade.
2: Being now afraid to live alone in the ancient house on the moor, I departed on the following day for London, taking with me the amulet after destroying by fire and burial the rest of the impious collection in the museum. But after three nights I heard the baying again, and before a week was over felt strange eyes upon me whenever it was dark. One evening, as I strolled on Victoria Embankment for some needed air, I saw a black shape obscure one of the reflections of the lamps in the water. A wind stronger than the night wind rushed by, and I knew that what had befallen Stygian must soon befall me. The next day I carefully wrapped the green jade amulet and sailed for Holland, what mercy I might gain by returning the thing to its silent, sleeping owner, I knew not, but I felt that I must at least try at any step conceivably logical. What what the hound was, and why it pursued me, were questions still vague, but I had first heard the baying in that ancient churchyard, and every subsequent event, including Stygian's dying whisper, had served to connect the curse with the stealing of the amulet. Accordingly, I sank... Into the nethermost abysses of despair, when, at an inn in Rotterdam, I discovered that thieves had despoiled me of this sole means of salvation. The baying was loud that evening, and in the morning I read of a nameless deed in the vilest quarter of the city. The rabble were in terror, for upon an evil tenement had fallen a red death beyond the foulest previous crime of the neighborhood. In a squalid thieves' den, an entire family had been torn to shreds by an unknown thing which left no trace. And those around had heard all night above the usual clamor of drunken voices, a faint, deep, incessant note of a gigantic hound.
1: Goddamn drink. Drink. So at last I stood in the unwholesome churchyard, where pale winter, mo- where the pale winter moon cast a hideous shadow, and leafless trees drooped sullenly to meet the withered, frosty grass and cracking slabs, and the ivy church pointed a jeering finger at the unfriendly sky. The night wind howled maniacally from the frozen swamps and frigid seas. The baying was very faint now, and it ceased altogether as I approached the ancient grave. I had once violated and frightened away in an abnormally large horde of bats which had been hovering curiously about it. I know not why I went thither, unless to pray or jabber out insane pleas and apologies to the calm white thing that lay within. But whatever my reason, I attacked the half frozen sod with a. <clears throat> oh, fuck, sorry.
0: <laughs> that was sorry. awesome. Sorry, sorry oh that was awesome i attacked
1: the half frozen sod with the desperation partly mine and partly that of a dominating will outside of myself excavation was much easier than i expected though at one point i encountered a queer interruption when a lean vulture darted down out of the cold sky and pecked frantically at the grave earth until i killed it with a blow of my spade finally i reached the rotting oblong box and removed the damp nitrous cover and the last rational act I ever performed, for crouched within the century, for crouched within that centuried coffin, embraced by a close-packed nightmare retinue of huge, sinewy sleeping bats, was, a bony thi- was the bony thing my friend and I had robbed—not clean and placid as we had seen then, but covered with caked blood and shreds of alien flesh and hair, leering sentiently at me with phosphorescent sockets and sharp. Exsanguinated fangs Yawning twistily in mockery Of my inevitable doom And when it gave from those Grinning jaws a deep sardonic bay As if from some gigantic hound And I saw that it held In its gory filthy claw The lost and faithful amulet of green jade I merely screamed and ran away Idiotically My scream soon dissolving into peals Of hysterical laughter Madness rides
2: the star wind Claws and teeth sharpened on centuries of corpses. Dripping death astride a bacchanal of bats from night-black ruins of buried temples of Belial. Now, as the baying of that dead, fleshless monstrosity grows louder and louder, and the stealthy wearing and flapping of those accursed web-wings circles closer and closer, I shall seek with my revolver the oblivion, which is my only refuge from the unnamed and unnameable. God damn.
1: I want to get fucked. (laughs) God damn, that's so good. It's so good. So, oh, man. I've read The Hound before. I know I've been to this party, but god damn, I forgot how much I love this party.
2: It's, no, it, it is. It, it It's one where, yeah, it's that club you haven't been to in a while. You're not quite sure. You There's a new bouncer. You show your ID. You kind of get patted down. But as soon as you walk in, everybody goes, Hey. Yes. Oh man. Yes. Which again, like we don't even know, we don't even know what this thing is. That's like off in the distance, going. We don't even know
0: what
1: this is, but it's the house. Oh god, it's good. That's what it and fucking yet, this, is. Is it's a really it's it's. This good. is a really good Lovecraft story. I like. I really appreciate how this one is like. I don't want to say, like, darker and pulpier, but darker and pulpier. Do you know what I mean? Like... I totally... Oh, totally goddamn. Do. Like, Rats in the Walls is like, I read a book, and I was scared because I could read, and that's why I was scared. But this is like, <laughs> me and my friends saw a fucking necklace, and now a goddamn ghost dog is hunting me. Like, holy well, shit. And like, what, And, like, when he's trying, at, like,
2: the, like, very end, to, like make it right do the right thing right it's it's already too far gone like these poor dutch pickpockets or whatever um oh hey there we 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 stole this amulet off of this shitty englishman yeah like they get their shit like kicked in uh and like as he's like digging up the coffin once more and he sees the corpse is like suddenly again like Re, re, fleshified and like laughing at him, like, oh, son, you done fucked up now. It's a
1: fucking werebat
2: pyre. Uh, oh. Werebat Yeah, right. Like,
1: oh my god, it's so good.
2: It's so good. It's super, <sighs> super good. And, and yeah, like, I, I also can't, and maybe it's also because we just, like, like I just steered last week's episode on like strong men uh like i i also can't help but think like look buddy like if you and stygian just got into the gym like you're feeling <laughs> you're feeling ennui you're you're feeling unsatisfied with life and instead of yeah like getting your rocks off going grave robbing how much can you deadlift son get in the weight room do you, you know like do that do th- <laughs> Maybe it's also because I deadlifted today. That was my that was my lifting. What workout. did you, what did
1: you do? How did you make out?
2: I did so so I'm doing the sort of like modified strong lifts. Um, today I did front squat three sets of five. Okay. Um, I did overhead press five sets of five, and then I did deadlift three by five. And like, granted, so see, so yeah, like I'm I'm definitely getting back into it, but I did. Uh, sets of 185 Is that what I And then yeah like a couple of uh, Accessory lists but but again It is it's like I feel myself getting stronger And damn it if this weird like Ghost bat dog thing Came after me <laughs> Um Maybe I I feel like I wouldn't have get I I don't think I would have gotten ripped into Yeah like shreds or ribbons Maybe maybe tassels, but I would I could put up a fight. I'd like bop him in, in, in the nose a good one. Give it better uh, the old one too. Yeah, the old the old left right left right. Yeah. Um <laughs> bit of the old ultraviolence on that hound, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, so narrator of the hound and stygian uh get get in the weight room, sons.
1: Try harder. <laughs> but again, like I'm always reminded of um so, like, Lovecraft, um, one of his greatest, like, what do you call that regrets in life was that he was not physically fit to join up for World War One. And so mm, that's why you yeah. never read about a particularly, like, robust Lovecraft prota- protagonist. And that's, goddamn. damn, that's kind of sad. Like, he just wanted so bad yeah. to be a manly dude, and instead he mm. lived with his aunts and was kind of fucking racist. Like, super fucking racist. It, like, right, yeah. and...
2: Yeah, and and I'm sure that's yeah. Those kind of go hand in hand. Like if you feel like you're inadequate and you can't like effect meaningful change, like in your current sphere of influence, uh, then yeah, you're gonna name your cat horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> but all the same, Mark. Uh, not only are we keeping in tradition of reading Lovecraft, yes, and that Wiley reading Lovecraft for his like death
1: for his like Death Day in honor of Lovecraft's Death Day. This will come out like he died March fifteenth, the same day that Caesar died. Think about that, guys, because I always kind of sort of do. It's a weird thing. Time is a wheel, you know. Like yeah, yep.
2: Well, and all of that. Uh, it's also a hallmark of ours uh, to get, yeah, like very silly, stupid, drunk, doing Lovecraft stuff. And buddy, like this goddamn sextuple n- Negroni that I had, or whatever it ended up being. Yeah. Oh baby,
1: <laughs> I had to open a PBR to fucking sober up. I'm I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. No, I've no so like next to me.
2: I have my, yeah, like 20 fluid ounce mason jar and I have my uh, 32 ounce water bottle and I've been going back and forth, back and forth. (laughs) And even then, (laughs) oh, doggies. Oh, but, but it's, yes, this was, we, we, this was a long time coming.
1: Yes. Yes, it was.
2: And. And when you said that the last time that we did Lovecraft was in August, I was like, wrong. I was, I, I was
1: wrong. Dunwich Horror in November, uh, preceding our Skyrim with Jake episode. But, but but. Well, yeah, but still, that's that's four months. It's still four and months. That, like, that was
2: a decent, yeah. That that was a decent time. And I'm I'm always amazed, and I love coming back, and because 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 I've read just about all of Lovecraft's uh, uh, corpus, his his his, his oeuvre. His curriculum uh, but every vitae. Single t- yes, but every single time I, I come back Especially with you reading it I pick up on new things I love our discussions I love our silliness And listeners, if you love it too We absolutely want to hear back from you Because I know that there's Yeah, like other Lovecraftians out there And boy howdy Do we want to like get together And hear from you Uh, Tell me how good this dude is.
1: Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. Problematic cat names aside, like horror of, of, of people that are different shade aside. Cause like context of the situation, I'm sorry. The hound kind of freaks me out, but really dude, the rats in the walls gives you the goddamn boo boo jeebies. And that's an amazing feeling. Like (laughs) let us know. Do you guys have this thought? Are you guys here too? Like, come on. I'm right here. Do it. Kill me. I'm right here. Kill me. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Do it now.
0: Kill Do it me. Now. What are you waiting I'm,
2: for?
1: I'm here. Uh,
2: <laughs> and let us know? Yes. I guess.
1: Send me death threats. But, Tell me I'm a piece of shit that <laughs> only wants to separate art from artists. And I will live with that. But goddamn, you can't tell me that Rats in the Wall is not a fantastic piece. And The Hound <laughs> isn't a fantastic piece. And The Call of Cthulhu is not a fantastic piece. Go back and listen to all the shits that we've done. Like, they're great. Goddamn, I'm really glad that Gershon got a hold of you and made us read these, Josh. Right, like yeah. Here, yeah. A brand new, yeah. I don't know how he, how he managed to
2: do this, but he did. He got us another uh, uh, extant copy Of the Necronomicon, or or made one Um, out of a very
1: special leather.
2: Yeah, a very certain kind of weird leather that I have. Yeah, like Quincy is giving me some kind of weird like sniffs. Like like he's coming along. What does Quincy know?
1: What horror is Quincy (laughs) sniffing?
2: (laughs) But listeners, that all this is to say, we love hearing from you. We want to hear more from you, and there's a couple ways that you can do that. You can send an email. TwoWizardsPodcast at gmail.com We're also on Twitter At TwoWizardsPodC1 I'm on Twitter uh, At PlaidBarbarian I'm doing my weird thing Hopefully not like Yeah, still within like The wizardry realm The wizardly uh, oeuvre Yes, yes And Mark, I understand that you were also On this thing Called Twitter.
1: I am on this thing called Twitter. You can find me there at Marky Stardust. You can find two wizards at uh, two wizards at Instagram. And then we don't really update it. But God damn it. I am trying. I am learning this like <laughs> craft that is social media and we are attempting it. Yes. And it's not going to be good. But hey, uh, I don't know. Fuck you. Follow us there. Um. <laughs> and also you can find me if you have not gotten enough of my drunken like just gushings for the man Howard Phillips Lovecraft. You can find me on my other podcast where I gush about another dude named Mike judge called the dangle podcast where me and my buddy, Johnny take two episodes of King of the Hill and talk about like why we still love it. Why this thing that is 20 years old is resonating inside of our like souls. And Oh my God, Mm -hmm. Josh, good shit coming up this week, every week. I know they say this every week, but right now we're in like, season yeah, four it's and it's just, it's just, it's just the fucking bees knees, man. It is the fucking hounds jowls. It is the Sheriff Bart's pajamas. I love it. It's great. Just check us out. Dangle podcast. Yeah. That's what I got. Sorry. I went nuts. It is the, no, no, no. It is the ladybird, Dude. We did that episode <laughs> today. We literally recorded that episode today. You don't even know that Josh. That's fucking really weird that you okay. did that. That's super fucking okay. weird. Awesome. Love it. Neat. If, that was great.
2: If, if it, okay, but but also the fact that I didn't know that and I like pushed my chips into the poker table like, hey, let's do the hound. What if the hound is Ladybird? Ladybird. What So go listen to Dangle Podcast or if you're listening to Dangle Podcast but and now listening to Two Wizards, welcome. Thank you welcome, for joining the you. House High yes. Hammock. Yes, and... Uh, more is in store. We have more love. We have more Lovecraft. We have more goofy esoteric stuff and we have more topics grounded in like physical
1: shit, like real stuff. Yeah.
2: And it is, and it is a joy and a privilege and a pleasure to have you tuning in with us. Um, And yeah, that took a weirdly sentimental turn. Blame the Negroni. I do. I definitely Uh, fucking do. (laughs) Holy shit. My, yeah, precisely My name is Josh, and I'm a wizard And
1: my name is Mark, and I am a wizard Thank you for listening We love you all, everyone Take
2: care, everybody
1: Good night
0: He rolled upon his back And after that, I killed them all Ah! ah!